Chapter 11 of A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jane Manning. A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories by Carolyn Ticknor. Chapter 11, A Furnished Cottage by the Sea. Mrs. Beaufort had declared herself tired of hotel life and had insisted that a furnished cottage was the only ideal place in which to spend the summer. Her husband had finally been brought to realize the overwhelming advantages to be derived from such a plan and had accompanied her hither and thither in search of just the right place. They were not exacting in their requirements, but Mr. Beaufort did feel that he would enjoy a ride daily on a boat in preference to the dusty train. Then his wife was anxious to have surf bathing nearby and a pretty water view from the piazza, while the daughters said they would be satisfied anywhere provided they had pleasant society and good sailing. Simple as these requirements were, however, they were eventually dispensed with, and after many trials and tribulations, a cottage was rented, which had to be reached after an hour's ride by rail from the city. Mrs. Beaufort must content herself with still water bathing and no ocean view. The girls had no congenial friends nearby, and the sailing was not considered safe but they had secured a furnished cottage and they made up their minds to be content even here however there was a modifying clause for the cottage furnishings proved to be far from sufficient there was no china to speak of and they would have to take their own mattresses and almost all their cooking utensils and rugs and easy chairs and lamps besides several small tables a small ice chest wash tubs bathtubs, pillows, and endless other things, not to mention necessities like the piano, Henrietta's Davenport, and her sister's dwarf bookcase. When the large load of household belongings rolled away from the door, Mr. Beaufort said doubtfully, We've taken a good many things, considering that the house was fully furnished, my dear. Oh, it's just as well to be comfortable while we're about it, his wife responded cheerfully. Even if we do have to move a few more things back and forth. And after all, you won't have any rest from housekeeping, he continued. But she laughed lightly. Oh, my dear, it will be a very much simpler matter keeping house at the seashore. Things almost run themselves in the summer cottage, you know. A few days later, she wished devoutly that things would run themselves as she wended her way up to the city to secure a new cook and waitress who would be willing to put up with the great inconveniences. These were many and seemed to multiply rapidly. The roof leaked, the stove would not work, the cistern was so low that a man must daily bring water in pails for household use. Many greater and less evils Mrs. Beaufort discovered were apt to go with furnished cottages. Then the company 
cousins and aunts and distant relatives galore must be asked down for nice little visits not to mention those who took it upon themselves to drop down unexpectedly at the least opportune moments all the people that i ought to want as well as those i do want must come she said desperately while mr beaufort came home depressed and weary after his railroad trip and the girls sighed for sailing and complained that there was nothing to do mrs beaufort herself found that there was altogether too much to do what with explaining how cooking could best be done on an oil stove and making sure that the water supply each day was sufficient and sending up to town for fresh fish and writing out lists for the washerwoman and stepping out to the gate to view what the provision man had to offer with these in addition to the entertaining of mr beaufort's second cousins and her own aunts she found herself counting the days which must need elapse before she could turn her face again towards home sweet home but the happy day arrived at last and as she watched the men piling up the last things upon the wagon she acknowledged to mr beaufort that there was more detail connected with renting a summer cottage than she had ever believed possible and i shall have to get new servants the same as usual she went on mournfully as the cook insisted upon leaving yesterday and mary has just heard of the death of her brother which obliges her to go at once so we shall have to open the house ourselves after all it was a bleak and raw afternoon when the beauforts ascended their own front steps laden with bags shawls and many curiously shaped bundles suggestive of forgotten saucepans and stray coffee pots it is time for the load to be here mr beaufort remarked as he unlocked the front door and stepped inside the house is as cold as a barn mrs beaufort exclaimed following him could that man have forgotten to light the furnace fire to dry the house off evidently he has her husband responded but i will start a fire here and in the kitchen at once myself mrs beaufort wandered through the chilly rooms in the deepening twilight i suppose it is better to be here a little while before the things arrive she said so that we can look about somewhat i hardly realized we took so many things with us i declare the house is quite empty the minutes slipped away and the darkness deepened and still the welcome rumble of the express wagon was not heard again and again they looked anxiously out of the windows but in vain i am so hungry henrietta declared but i don't suppose we can go out for our supper until that old load comes mrs beaufort stood at one of the front windows drawing her cape about her and shivering how strange that the man should not have come to start the furnace she murmured papa's trying to light the kitchen fire her daughter kate put in so you can go out there and get warm i don't think he understands anything about it mrs beaufort responded hurrying toward the kitchen she opened the pantry door and through a mist of flying ashes she could dimly make out her husband's form clad in what seemed to be a silvery gray suit why what are you doing she exclaimed putting her handkerchief to her mouth <laughs> i am merely letting down the ashes my dear he answered coughing i should think you would have had this cleared out before we went away 
can't you keep out of here until I get the fire started? But that is not the way to let the ashes down. Can't you see the room is filled with them flying all over everything? If you will be kind enough to leave the kitchen, Clara, he returned, dusting his coat with his silk handkerchief, everything will be all right. And he threw open two of the windows, making a draft which blew the ashes in clouds towards the pantry door. At this moment, Henrietta's voice was heard calling, Mama, here is the wagon load of furniture. And it's pitch dark out here, Kate's voice announced. Mr. Beaufort dropped the poker and hurried to the front door, followed by his wife. Light the gas in the hall, he called to the girls. It won't light, they promptly responded, making way for two expressmen who stumbled in, laden with chairs and tables. What, hasn't the gas been turned on? Mr. Beaufort questioned. I sent them special word not to fail to have it on. Well, you'll have to fly around and get some lamps lighted. I suppose you know that all the lamps are in the packing trunks, Mrs. Beaufort said regretfully. Well then, candles. Can't you find some candles? Mr. Beaufort called back. There must be some candles. I'm afraid we took all the extra candles with us, Mrs. Beaufort answered, hurrying into the storeroom, while the girls ran hither and thither, tumbling over the numerous pieces of furniture which the men were rapidly piling up in the hall. After a frantic search, during which Mrs. Beaufort opened the pantry door and then ran against it, giving herself a black eye, one of the girls discovered a box filled with little colored candles, such as are used on Christmas trees and birthday cakes. These were hastily brought out, lighted, and set about in every available spot where they dripped and sputtered fitfully. Tell the men to bring the three big packing cases into the dining room, Mr. Beaufort exclaimed, as he almost fell over a barrel of crockery which had been planted in the middle of the hall. Yes, the lamps are in one of those packing cases, I'm sure, Mrs. Beaufort answered, breaking away from Henrietta, who was tying up her eye with a handkerchief wet in cold water. "'Girls, where are the keys to the packing cases?' their father was saying excitedly. "'You remember, you took them from me before we started.' "'I gave them to Mama,' promptly responded Kate, "'and I don't know what she did with them.' "'Mama, what did you do with the keys?' she called after her mother, "'who had gone in search of kerosene oil. "'Upstairs in my black bag,' came back from the laundry, "'where Mrs. Beaufort was wandering about with one Christmas tree candle, "'which constantly burned her fingers with hot wax. "'Henrietta, show the men where to take those big square trunks,' she added, "'coming in triumphantly with an oil can, "'which her husband immediately kicked over "'in trying to move one of the packing trunks.' As Henrietta disappeared upstairs to pilot the big square trunks, a crash resounded through the house. What is that? Mrs. Beaufort cried, dropping the cloth with which she was wiping up kerosene oil from the dining room hearth. Oh, Mama, came a voice from the darkness overhead. The man has knocked down Grandmother Hamilton's portrait with the corner of one of those trunks on the way upstairs. Mrs. Beaufort drew a deep sigh but did not speak. Being only a woman, no appropriate words instantly rose to her lips. And the glass is all over the stairs, her daughter's voice went on encouragingly. 
this fact was quite evident from the crunching sound made by the descending feet of the two expressmen who ground the well-distributed fragments into the hardwood floor below and the floor has been newly done over you know she said to mr beaufort he however had no time to waste upon speculations of this sort he was down on his knees before one of the packing cases trying to fit a key into its yale lock he had been all through the bunch once without success and had begun again this time more slowly quick they're bringing in the piano and we must have some light in the parlor Kate was heard to exclaim as a heavy thump against the hall wainscoting bespoke the entrance of that musical instrument. Mr. Beaufort had succeeded in unlocking two of the packing trunks, and he and Henrietta were plunging wildly into them to find the much-needed lamps. That's the trunk with the table linen in it, Henrietta, her mother said, coming into the room. There are no lamps in there. This was already evident, as her daughter had reached the bottom after piling out the tablecloths and napkins in all directions on the floor. "'Here's part of the study lamp!' Mr. Beaufort exclaimed joyfully, throwing out armfuls of everything pell-mell. "'Where are the lamp chimneys?' Mrs. Beaufort queried. "'Right on top of one of the barrels,' Mr. Beaufort replied, as a fourth barrel was rolled into the room. "'But which barrel?' his daughter called after him as he stepped into the hall. "'This one seems to be all teacups,' she continued, rapidly unrolling a number and setting them on the table. "'Here's the ice cream freezer,' Mr. Beaufort said cheerily, setting it down directly on top of the teacups, which flew like chaff before the wind.' "'What under the sun do you want to go pulling out that china for yet?' he cried. "'I should think there were enough things around already.' By the uncertain light of a blue, a yellow, and a red candle, the men groped patiently for the legs of the piano, which they had great difficulty in adjusting. Kate stood beside them, holding a candle in each hand and shedding alternate streams of blue and red wax over her dress, the prostrate piano, and the bowed heads of the two expressmen, who finally retired after no worse mishaps than falling over one ottoman and upsetting the afternoon tea table. As Kate picked up the tea caddy and ran her fingers over the surface of the brass kettle to ascertain how deeply it was dented, she saw her father standing triumphantly in the doorway, holding a lighted lamp in his hands, which was smoking in a most lively way. We found some oil and we're all right now, he said pleasantly. Now we can see where we are. This privilege seemed, however, rather a doubtful one, as the added illumination revealed anything but a cheerful view of their environment. As the door closed behind the departing expressman, Mrs. Beaufort suggested wearily, "'If we can find that oil stove, perhaps I can make a cup of tea, for I am too tired to go out anywhere for my supper.' Mr. Beaufort preceded her with the lamp, and they threaded their way cautiously over piles of table linen, broken china, and the rest of the debris which covered the dining room floor out into the hall, where Grandmother Hamilton's shattered portrait looked reproachfully out from among hammock poles, bathtubs, and bundles of pillows and piles of rugs. 
They entered the parlor, where the piano stood decorated by wax of many colors, and passed through into the sitting room, where the oil stove greeted their gaze. There it stood, safe and sound, in the center of the polished mahogany table. Having insisted that the others must go and get a substantial repast, Mrs. Beaufort sat alone in the midst of chaos. Beryl stood half unpacked about her, and broken china was under her feet, while the light from the lamp, which streamed dimly through the smoky chimney, revealed a washtub filled with cooking utensils resting upon the top of Henrietta's writing desk. Mrs. Beaufort silently watched the water in the little saucepan on the oil stove, which was almost boiling, as she drew from her luncheon basket nearby a few crackers, the remains of their hasty lunch at noon. On the dining room table, beside the oil stove, stood the ice cream freezer, a waffle iron, and a coal hod. But Mrs. Beaufort saw them not. She looked across at a ghastly reflection in a mirror opposite. The mirror reflected a haggard face with a bandage over one eye, the eye which had come in contact with the pantry door. As she gazed at the mournful spectacle, she murmured to herself, I know not what punishment I have deserved for past misdoings, nor yet what fate the future has in store for me, but I devoutly hope I may not be called upon to expiate my sins by renting another furnished cottage by the sea. End of chapter 11. Recording by Jane Manning.